let's get down to business, you greasy customers. Because I have got a very fun and amusing podcast for ye this week. Alright, this is the Blind Buy Podcast. Um, I've stopped announcing things for new listeners. There's new listeners each fucking week. If you're a new listener, lads, you don't necessarily have to go back to the very start of the podcast. But this is like episode 114. And I would strongly advise... You don't have to go chronological, but... If you're enjoying this podcast, or if you're a brand new listener, go back to some of the earlier episodes, dip in and out. There's a lot of stuff there to listen to. So, like I said, a fun podcast this week. So, before I get down to that, let's get some very quick shopkeeping out of the way so I can fulfil my contractual obligations. Gigs, alright? Um, My three Dublin dates in January have sold out very quickly um, in the Sugar Club. And a lot of ye were fairly annoyed that you didn't manage to get tickets because I know you wanted to get them as Christmas presents. So what I have done, I've just announced more Dublin dates in April in Vicker Street. I'm going to be doing three nights in April 2020 Vicker Street. Check them out. Just added a date in Cork for March of 2020. These have just gone on sale. Check them out if you're going to be Christmas pricks and buy tickets for Christmas. And then... Fucking Australia and New Zealand tour, right? Couple of tickets left for that. Go to troubadourmusic.com. And then also, my Scotland and England tour. There are tickets left in Liverpool and Birmingham. So there we go. Contractual obligations out of the way. Also, my book of short stories. Still number one in the hardback fiction charts. Thank you very much. And... Like all, like all classic, uh, classic examples of Irish literature, it's now available in Lidl. Alright? Okay, that's that, out of the way. This week, I, I do a lot of live podcasts, as you know. And I'm sitting on quite a few of them. That I don't, I put them out every so often, but... I'm sitting on quite a few. And I went listening through them. And I found a live podcast I did over the summer. And I listened to it. And I fucking thoroughly enjoyed it. I'd forgotten that this live podcast was so much crack. Because I had a roar and hangover on the day. Um, It's a podcast with a a comedian called David O'Doherty. He's an Irish fella from Dublin. He's a legend. He gave my own band, the Rubber Bandits, some of our first ever support gigs back in 2007. Um, And he's just a a lovely, lovely person. Very funny, smart, interesting lad. So I'm going to give you this live podcast that I recorded over the summer. It was at um, Ivy Gardens Comedy Festival. And it was the second night. And it's a particularly enjoyable comedy festival because... It's like I generally don't like festivals because festivals for me are just very loud fields and I don't like sleeping in tents. So I, I don't actually enjoy festivals, but I enjoy doing gigs at them, but I don't enjoy wandering around the field drinking warm cider and sleeping in a tent. That's uh, from a past life. So I don't really do that anymore. But the Ivy Gardens Festival is in the middle of Dublin city centre. 
So I think I just I went on the lash with a lot of comedians and had an amazing time. And then what happened? I went to Whelan's and there was a lock-in. Someone bought me a bottle of Prosecco and then I kind of went out onto the street, met a lot of these mad bastards from East Wall and then headed back to East Wall and, and just went to a house party and kind of just left the house party and went straight to this gig in the Ivy Gardens. And just this gig was so much fun and I laughed so much that it was the greatest hangover cure that I ever experienced and it was not her pleasure. So without further ado, this is myself and the absolutely lovely and funny David O'Doherty having a good old chat. I hope you enjoy it. And what one last thing, how could I forget? Um, if you're enjoying the podcast, like it, subscribe to it on fucking Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, whatever. Leave a review and support me and this podcast through the Patreon page. This is a free podcast that you can listen to for free, but um, I get financial support from ye uh, via the Patreon, patreon.com forward slash the blind by podcast. If you listen to the podcast a lot, please consider becoming a patron of the podcast. And all you get from it really is knowing that you are providing me with a regular income, which is something that's difficult to come by if you're an artist today. And if you can afford it, do. If you can't afford it, you don't have to. If you can't afford it, know that you're paying for someone else to listen to it. And that's about it, really. And also, David O'Doherty, um, look him up online. See if he has any gigs coming up. Uh, go to one of his gigs. I think after hearing this interview, you'll definitely want to go and see him live. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Lovely surprise. What's the crack, sir? Uh, was not at a house party last night. Uh, was in my house where it's always a party to some extent. <laughs> a, a sleep party. So I, I have, um, I'm anxious because I've got the Edinburgh Fringe starting in three days, whether I like it or not. And it's 14 quid in and loads of people are coming. Oh, God. So uh, I, uh, I'm trying to think of some jokes at the moment. How are you? Like, are you familiar with the Edinburgh Fringe? It's not a haircut. <laughs> it's, <laughs> um, it's just uh, the, like uh, we, I've done a couple of fucking Edinburgh Fringes. It's, it's tough going. Yeah, it's, um, 
it's 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 not a marathon. It's tar- thirty nights basically of gigs back to back. Yes, I think I've got um, forty two gigs in twenty six nights, and yeah, it's not a real job. It's fine. It's just standing so that there with a plastic keyboard. Two two a day, two two gigs a day. Then or? Uh, doing, I'm doing my own show. Yeah, so I'm like thirty three times, and then you, you have to do a load of other people's shows and odd bits and pieces and. Lots of charity gigs and stuff like that, but um, sure, it's like I don't know what else to do with my life at this point. Yeah, like yeah. I, I started doing comedy. Well, I did went to Edinburgh when I was twenty two. Yeah, and everyone's like, "Who's this fresh faced uh, <laughs> newcomer?" And now I'm the mayor. I think is younger than me now. In the <laughs> <laughs> it's you, you, so I I live for cycling. I'm obsessed with cycling. And I watch the Tour de France ever since I was about 12. I've watched the Tour de France from Stephen Roach onwards. And then I realize, like, the Tour de France now is just synonymous with me getting a show for Edinburgh together. And as they enter the mountains in the Tour de France, my own stress and tension levels rise as well. <laughs> and then at the end, it's like, yes. And then I'm like, but they're probably on drugs. So let's just move on to Edinburgh. Yeah, you're pretty fucking... Uh, one of the first times I ever met you, because this man here gave us uh, some of our first ever um, support slats. Fair play to him. Um, I think it might even have been here at the Ivy Gardens like fucking 10 years ago and we played support for you. I remember one in the Temple Bar Music Centre. Yes. Uh, that was one of your first ever... For one of th- that was, I think it might even have been our first ever... Dub- no, it was our second Dublin gig. The first it, one was uh, supporting a fella called DJ Mech. <laughs> Well, it was very different to that. Very, very different. But uh, I had a jacket, and I just bought the jacket in a charity shop because I thought it looked cool. But you informed me it was a cycling jacket, and there was a pocket. See, here's the thing that bothered me about this jacket. It had a pocket where, where your spine is. <laughs> and I'm going, what the fuck? What the fuck do I want to be storing shit in my back for? <laughs> fuck is that about? It's awkward to reach. You've got a saggy back. And then, so I, I was really bothered with this jacket, and then you put me to ease by saying, that's a cyclist jacket, and that's where a cyclist puts their banana when they're on a bicycle. <laughs> it's aerodynamic around there. Yeah. And also, yeah, you can't be fiddling with down here if you're descending So what, what, is that a common thing with bicycling? Like, wh- where would you, and what would you store in the spine pouch? Uh, well... I mean, the whole outfit is quite interesting from a cycling point of view. Like, like the thing about cycling is, unless you're really Actually, good at it... let's start from the fucking head down. <laughs> what, what is... Are you wearing one of those cycling caps that they wear? What no. is the deal with flimsy c- cycling caps that look a small bit like women's underpants? What is that? Uh, Why so flimsy? Why the tiny visor? Because... Uh, the tiny visor is mostly to do with your sponsor's name is written on the flip up of the cap like that. And so when you go over the finish line, you're expected to have that up. And that's why they throw their arms in the air like that. So your sponsor's name is revealed. This is back in the day when the Tour de France would have just been, wasn't televised. It was one photo in the newspaper. And usually it'd so just it just be the winner the front. going over the line. So you just get the name of your sponsor in as many times from that front on view. And did, that style then got co-opted by hardcore punk. The the tiny peak. The cap. tiny peak, like uh, the band uh, Suicidal Tendencies. Suicidal Tendencies, also in White Men Can't Jump. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. He's wearing a uh, Colnago 
uh, Italian Tour de France hat as Wesley well, Snipes it? and fucking Woody, Woody Har- Harrison Woody Harrison whose fucking father was in jail for being a high class assassin no Woody Harrison there's um there's a prison in America called Supermax <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it's it's lovely fucking chips man but they don't do burger sauce so Woody Harrison's dad was like a proper fucking assassin. Like, no, not an assassin, a hitman. And he was one of the people, like he, he was involved in the Kennedy thing. He, he, when they were want, want, trying to find out who shot Kennedy, he was one of the people that was brought in going, we think it might have been you. So was he a hardcore socialist or something like no, that? Just, no, just a fucking, uh, an absolute psychopath who'll take money off the mafia to kill people. So wow. yeah, and he used to take out um, mayors, like any target that was high up someone who's like a judge or a mayor or a politician he used to do that so he has a load of murders under his belt so there's a prison in America called Supermax and it's like it's the highest security prison right the the, the way they do it is that someone who's in there never meets another human being it's all through doors there's no the walls and the floor are one it's like concrete and you have to sleep on concrete and the toothpaste is is see-through so that you can't hide any knives in the toothpaste (laughs) So Woody Harrelson's dad is in there alongside um, just like a lot of Al-Qaeda lads. So how do we get on to this? And, Peaked uh, caps, white men can't jump, Wesley Snipes, and Woody Harrelson. Okay. When it couldn't get any worse, Woody Harrelson wasn't allowed back to his seat at the Wimbledon uh, ladies final there. Why? I don't know if you saw that. He had gone off for... Uh, gone off like milk. It's he, a sour Woody Harrelson. <laughs> He was hammered. You could see that he was hammered. I, I didn't, I didn't, this isn't a fever That's a dream. wild accusation now. This is, so Woody Harrelson was hammered at the Wimbledon ladies final, I think. And <laughs> the... There's a lovely sentence. The, <laughs> there's all sorts of rules to leaving your seat in Wimbledon at the All England Lawn Tennis Club or whatever. So he'd obviously gone for a was. No, in fact, he'd come back with drinks in glasses and he was in the Royal Box and the guy wouldn't let him back into his seat while there was a game on. And there was just shot of a really sad uh, Woody Harrelson <laughs> looking over the guard's shoulder with oh. three drinks in a sort of ominous triangle like that in his hands. <laughs> so like father, like son, but with less murders. Woody Harrison. Hammered in the royal box. Um, yeah, he doesn't speak about his dad much. Yeah. I he, mean, I, 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 what else does Woody Harrison do? He has pants made out of hash. Yeah. He's famous for hash pants. <laughs> it was part of his, uh, he was one of the first people to be like, uh, weed should be legal, so he used to wear pants out of it. Are you serious? Yeah, all his pants are made out of hemp. Um, so we spoke about the top of a cyclist's head. Let's move down now to... <laughs> Here's one, right? Is it, it now? Am I am I being mad? Or do cyclist sunglasses come in cans and they wrap around like those things you'd put on your wrist when you were a child? Remember those things? Yeah. Oh, snap bracelets. Snap bracelets. Uh, well, just on. A, Is that I, a real thing? If I can digress there for one moment, uh, the I, I am going. I'm going to record a new album soon. And there's no point. I used to release them on CD. Yeah. But it's like releasing a thing on a barrel now. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. an obsolete technology. Yeah. So I want to release it somehow. And I was trying to think of an object that everyone would like and would, li- would easily pay three quid for. 
So, and on the back of it will be written the download code for the album. Okay. So I'm releasing it on Snap Bracelet. Fuck yes. So so do you know so it's a foot long and it looks like a stiff piece of ruler and then you hold it over a child or your own wrist <laughs> and you strike the child but rather than them feeling violence from the strike they're like <laughs> yeah that was the joy of them actually wasn't it yeah. you think you're going to get a slap but you actually get some type of embrace So the cyclist sunglasses, I mean, they do tend to be very ugly sunglasses. Yeah, oh yeah. But, but the thing about cycling... To be, to be worn casually with jeans and shoes. Yeah. It's do, one of those... You'd be on well, a heavy... Well, the ones that are blue and they don't even go around your ear, they just, they just go straight, don't they? Yeah, I... I, uh, I, a, I don't know a lot about cyclist sunglasses. I'm, I'm kind of putting all sunglasses into one category here. No, that's fair enough. I was in a, a shop recently and someone said, are you a cyclist? You'd really like these. And they showed me the ugliest sunglasses I've ever seen, the full mirrored <gasps> sort of frontage. But then they had headphones in them as well that you could, like on the end of the... Th- and would- what was your feeling towards these glasses? My feeling was, what if you just wanted to listen to the music? <laughs> You'd have to wear the sunglasses. Oh, my God. Like, what if you're just walking into <laughs> town? Office. Yeah, at a half six on a Tuesday in November. <laughs> oh, my God. So, yeah, cyclist sunglasses are very uh, <laughs> ugly. I mean, go, w- working our way down now, you might have a snood. Now, what the fuck is that? Ah, a snood. Sounds like a nude sleep. Uh, <laughs> a, a snood is a... Uh, it's like a polo neck, uh, polo neck jumper, one of those but ones. But sans jumper. Sans jumper with just the polo. <laughs> <laughs> Literally a polo, actually, now that I think about it. Shit, is that why they're called polo necks? Why the necks? fuck are they called polo necks, man? Because of polo mints, maybe. It's like a jumper with a massive polo mint attached to the top Actually, of it. Actually, you never see people playing polo wearing them. Certainly. I don't even know what polo is. Well, what is it? It's it's like you're on top of a fucking horse and you've got a mallet. It's like very is violent. That polo? It's violent golf. But but there's horses involved, though, isn't it? Yeah, it's horseback um, uh, hurling. <laughs> it, it's one of those sports that I've just dismissed because it's always it's only ever really posh people and the yeah, royal family. But and, you, as well, it's you can tell it's a sport. It's basically it's like Cromwell practicing for the sacking of Drogheda. <laughs> it's just like I'm up on my fucking horse and I'm going to cut the paddy's head off. <laughs> and it's that, isn't it? It, yeah. it? it is. It's war practice. It's like we're the Brits. We're up on horses and we're going to smash their heads. Yeah, it, it, it's one of those sports that. Like, I'd probably, I'd possibly be good at it. Do you know what I mean? But I'll never know, and there's a tragedy in that. You have to. Like, have you ever been on top of a horse? No. See, that's that's a difficult. Have you been on a horse? I have many a time. Yes. Really? Yeah. Yes. And what's the? Do you feel that sort of sense of power? Do you feel the the? the do you want to colonize when you're sitting on a horse? You know what I mean? No. Do you look at the nearest village and go, I could kill all these people now? No. Um. No, I don't think Irish people feel... For, for the Brits, it's war practice. For Irish people, it's just... I'm on a horse, I'm having crack. Yeah, the... the, the is it for them, it's like, I want to sack your village. 
I think the Incas didn't have horses, or they didn't know to sit Did on know, them. Did you know what? Yeah, are you, the, the, when the Incas, do you know what they thought when they first saw the horses? So when the Spanish and the Portuguese came over, they'd never seen people riding animals, and they used to think that the warrior on the horse was one thing. They thought this was a creature. Wow. It scared the fuck out of them. Like, so they were yeah. like, we're not fighting humans here. There are these new things with four legs, like a centaur. And they thought that because they had no context for jumping on the back of something. They were going, why would you jump on the back of a creature? Sure, they already had alpacas. <laughs> I'd spit into your mouth. <laughs> there was an alpaca in Limerick. About it. Did you see him about a year ago? The, the lads who had the horses down in Limerick, they decided to get an alpaca. So there was just this alpaca wandering all around Limerick. Everyone just, what the fuck is going on with this alpaca? And, and he was spitting at everyone. Because that's what they do. They spit into your face. The, uh, the horse won't mate with the... No, hang on. Who, the donkey will mate... What, what, something's a... An ass. An ass is a... The donkey's a dad. The, the mother's a horse. Because generally, uh, across species, that you won't mate. You know what I mean? No, it has, to be, like... it has to be kind of forced. Although dogs don't seem to mind. But they're not cross species, though. They're just different sorts of... I yeah. mean, but if you're a... I mean, presumably a Dalmatian can't mate with a poodle or a, they can't, no, a chihuahua. When I'm very, very bored, <laughs> I type into Google Images what different dog breeds look like. And let me tell you, every single dog breed you can think of exists. So, I mean, I'm going to go they, to... A poodle Dalmatian would, would exist. A, a fucking... A, what, what did I go for? It was Pitbull... Pit, pit bull terrier and a pug, like there, they, they, people do this shit. And and if they can't mount the other animal, they get equipment involved. <laughs> I can imagine that because if you, I always think if you gave Botox to a pug, it would look quite like a pit bull. Then if you smoothed all those wrinkles right out, it would. <laughs> it would. But but that'd be an awful thing to get arrested for, wouldn't it? <laughs> Why is he in jail? He was Botoxing pugs. You know the boom is back in Ireland when people start... Botoxing their pugs. Bot- Botoxing all pets, really. Whatever your pet is, will Botox... Whatever. That'd be a good name for a good name for a DJ. Botox Pug. <laughs> Wouldn't it? Class name. Do you, do you know the, uh, the reason why bulldogs and pugs have the wrinkles in their faces? How, how that was bred into them? It was... Um, so the bulldog... They were actually like, uh, if a farmer had a bunch of fucking cows and there was one bull and the bull was a lunatic, yeah. he needed a dog to be able to defend him, right? So the bulldog was bred basically so that it was a dog that was tough enough so that when they latched onto the bull's nose, no matter how much the bull shook, the dog would still be there, right? But what happened is that they, they would drown on the blood of the bull. So they started breeding them to have these wrinkles in their faces. So when the bulldog latches onto the bull's nose, the blood will drain away through those no. wrinkles. So that's the reason. That's how fucked up humans are. You, you, How's like, that dog? I don't know, but in 50 years, his great-great-great-grandson will have wrinkles on its face so he doesn't drown in blood. <laughs> it, the, the, there seems to be a very active period of breeding dogs for specific purposes. My uh, grandmother was a Protestant, so she had eight dogs. <laughs> and they were uh, uh, miniature wire-haired dachshunds, as in sausage dogs, uh, those ones. And yeah, I mean, Daxons, Daxons, yeah, Dashons. We call them Daxons in the Candle Club. Okay. <laughs> and yeah, there's pictures of me 
as a baby lying in a in a crib, one year old me with just six because they were really protective of me with like six of them just lying the length of my body looking out in different directions for predators. But apparently they were bre- not those sort of predators. <laughs> Jesus. The um, that's what you do to keep the priests away. I'll get a load of fucking sausage dogs and sell a tape into your child. Protestant sausage dogs. A priest, priest would be running over hedges. The ex, uh, the ex Liverpool winger from their uh, many trophy winning nineteen eighties teams was an Australian guy called Craig Johnson, who on his retirement turned into an inventor, which is something you don't hear you very don't, often. You don't just turn into an inventor, yeah. <laughs> And he's famous for two inventions in particular. One, he invented the uh, thing in hotel rooms where when you move a can of Coke, it charges it directly to your account. Oh, what a bastard. And the other is he invented a football boot that has rubbery bits on the sides so that you can spin, you can curl, you can bend it like Beckham. And he named that boot the Predator. Yes, I remember that. Yeah. 1997. Yeah. Everyone had to have him, even if you didn't fucking play soccer. Yeah. Yeah, they did. Yeah. yeah. Walking down the street and... Walking clonk, down the street clonk, and fucking clonk. predators, yeah. <laughs> well, he... Um, yeah, I always wondered whether he regretted it affected the sales think, of it. Did he call him the predator, though, or did Nike call it the predator? Adidas. 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 There we go. There's the... Uh, there's the, there's the, 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 the representative from Adidas that I... <laughs> that sits in every one of my gigs in case I tarnish the brand. <laughs> Uh, when when uh, Stefan Edberg won Wimbledon in 1986, he had Nike. <laughs> nah, he had he had Adidas. I was che- I was double checking to see if the Adidas guy. <laughs> uh, he uh, what, what were we what were we on about? We were talking about whether he regrets calling a fucking shoe predator. Oh yeah, but maybe they did. Yeah, because the word predator now, like if okay, I remember when predators came out and. When I saw that shoe, at no point did I think of uh, pedophiles. The pedos might wear them. Yeah, I was thinking, oh, Predator, that cool film from the 80s where the alien has dreadlocks. Oh, yeah. That, so that, that, that was Predator for me. Like, if you then, released a, 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 if that movie had been released in Ireland, just Predator, you know, yeah. you, it would, you wouldn't have been expecting an alien with dreadlocks. No. It would have just been a guy who worked in Extra Vision. I... <laughs> I, thi- I think, uh, I don't know, he was going for the whole uh, puma, yeah. cheetah. Yeah. You know, it's that, uh, just like an accurate cat. But I, 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 love, this, I love the slight uh, semantic differences. There was a film once um, called The Courier, I think it was called, a, a grim Irish 80s film. And uh, Hot Press gave it a one-word review. And it was just one of those vicious films where someone gets glassed in the first minute. Yeah, yeah. And you just sit in the cinema for an hour and a half going, ooh. And uh, the one-word review was just brutal, right? And oh. when it got released in London then, it had a one-word review in the poster, and it just said, brutal. Brilliant. Because to them, brutal implies a gritty yeah. fucking film about the real world, whereas to us, it's just like, this is fucking Big, brutal. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, have we nearly? I can you? I can't read that clock. Is it twenty past yet? Because we're supposed to have an interval. No, it's it's eleven minutes past. Eleven minutes past. That is a good clock reading, sir. <laughs> so, moving for, onto the shoulders now of the cyclist. I mean, we're only at the snood now. So we've done the snood. 
really have. So, he, so this, this jacket that I had, you actually were able to name it. It had something, it was Italian. Um, it said Zap on the back. And you were like, this is a specific jacket from Italy from this period. And I was going, wow, that's a lot of stuff about bike jackets that this lad knows. I wasn't expecting this. But I think it was, uh, I, I mean, it's 12 years ago. Yeah. And I don't remember all your jackets. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it might have been the Zed Peugeot yes, it was. team, uh, which was a French team of the mid to late 80s. That uh, Ronan Ponsek was their leader for a lot. They were at Zed was a... This is the thing about cycling. I have, like, the way that some people have loads of lyrics of songs in their brains. I just have (laughs) the sponsors of mid-80s continental... Like Fagor. Stephen Roach cycled for Fagor one year, which is an Eastern European brand of fridge freezers. (laughs) And I've always wanted one. Are they still going? I've never seen one in the real world. What about those fucking fridges? I don't think they're around anymore. They're called Smeg. Yeah. They're a very fancy fridge now, yeah. Smeg, smegma is uh, an oily, sebaceous substance that uh, occurs on the top of human penises and vaginas. <laughs> so why would you name a fucking fridge after that? Maybe because it's like product placement, whereby if you happen to suffer from it, I don't know if you suffer from it or you just wash it off. No, you just got to wash your dick, that's it. So, so maybe every time you look at it, you're reminded of the... I better go down and open the fridge. <laughs> Maybe people who have them just have huge jars uh, of uh, recently removed... Guys, I, I, know, I know it's funny, but there's someone in the world has decided, I'm making cheese out of my dick. <laughs> didn't they make fucking... Didn't they make cheese out of Ryan Tuberty's armpit or something? There was some person on the Late Late, and they were, they were showing how you could make cheese out of any type of bacteria and they swabbed uh, I think this might have happened in a dream oh, no I'm nearly sure I, I no, do you know why I think it happened in a dream because I'm envisioning topless Ryan Tuberty on the Late Late Show and I'm going that didn't happen but uh, it might have been on the radio then they fucking swabbed Ryan Tuberty and made cheese out of his armpit that happened Topless on the late, late, late uh, toy show special. <laughs> Imagine that. Imagine he just walks out. Late, late toy show. Everyone's watching it, getting on ground. Ryan just walks out with no top. Wouldn't that be fucking amazing? It'd be really hard to be the next thing. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like the, the person suffering from Hodgkin's lymphoma or whatever, and he's just still sitting there with, the, with his top off, and he's trying to be really sincere. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Well, well, you're just telling the story of how you can't get these drugs on, uh, the, in the hospitals. Roar. It's fucking hot! <laughs> He's just slowly turning a churn, which is trying to get that cheese. I don't, I, I, I don't know much about uh, making cheese, but uh, at the moment I, uh, I've become obsessed with um, composting refuse into a bin Ooh. and trying to get the components right for whatever that anaerobic... Do you add... Because the most important thing for the anaerobic thing is, I think it's, it's to uh, get a lot of oxygen in there. Do you have one of those compost bins where you turn it? No, I go at it with a shovel. And okay. The, and the problem with that is that a million tiny flies live in it. Yeah. And they all come up. And then, I mean, uh, let's go in deep. It's, uh, it's late enough. It's, uh, it's, it's ten past five. I can be as rude as I want to. So... 
I was given instructions to pee into it. <laughs> yes! And the problem with a thousand tiny flies and peeing is that uh, sometimes... <laughs> You're supposed to piss into the jar and throw the jar in, man, not fucking climb up on your... <laughs> climbing up on his garden fence, pissing into the compost. There's I other sh- ways to do it. That, that, that does make more sense now that you mention it. I've been up getting, on the garden shit. It's a nightmare vision where you look down and there's 40 flies on your peen and oh. you're still trying. I mean, yeah. And that, it, I've no smegma, though, to report, so. Um, do you add any additives to the compost other than piss? Uh, like, what's your ratio with, like, uh, hay and uh, straw? Yeah, a bit of paper as well yes. goes in there. Uh, and then you try not to put citrus goods. You, yeah, anything in. acidic will fuck that shit up. Unless mm. you're growing rhododendrons. Oh really? Are they? They, good are, to they go in enjoy there? an acidic soil. Yeah, I'm still, I'm, I'm still very much learning. I'm trying to get the mixture right. But the problem is, it's, it's a very small garden, and so I think it's bringing a lot of flies into the area generally. But that's good. It's good. Like, like uh, would you have any interest in um, cockroach composting? Like if we were to breed cock- cockroaches. Well, no, I had a, uh, one of my guests on the podcast, uh, Kali Ennis. He's an expert in insects up in Trinity College. But he has these Japanese hissing cockroaches. <laughs> they're, they're fucking huge and they hiss and scream. But like he composts with them. So, but they like he they will they'll do what you, what your compost bin does in six months. These cockroaches will do in a week. So he throws all his fucking kitchen waste into this bin. And the, sorry, they eat them. Eat the fuck out of it. Wow. And so he and, and he posts videos and you just hear him scuttling and hissing. But they turn it into this perfect black compost, right? But then what he started doing, because his whole thing is conservationism and like the idea that moving forward as well, humans are probably gonna have to start eating alternative forms of protein. And insects is seen as the best yeah. source of this because they're the, the insects don't have a huge impact on the environment. You can farm insects, you can fry them. So he gets his cockroaches, purges oh. them oh, um, so that they shit out whatever's inside of them, and then he f- stir-fries them and eats them. <laughs> not, not like every Thursday. <laughs> but it's something he did just to m- prove a point of, you know, this is perfectly normal in certain Asian countries. It's, it's very good protein. The only reason we don't want to do it is, is like our heads tell us not to. But I'm eating fucking cockroaches here. It's environmentally friendly, and I grew them out the back garden. Yeah, I, 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 I'll say no, uh, <laughs> but I would. I like. I definitely. I think I'd go plant based before I would. But you know. But then go cockroach based. Yeah, I don't, and I don't necessarily. You know that really fancy coffee that travels through the digestive tract oh, of monkeys. Oh, coffee! Oh, what the fuck's it called? Coffee Luwak. Yeah, you can get it in Limerick. It's sixty quid a cup. Yeah, I don't need to try that. I mean, like, I think I'm apparently grand. as well. It's one of those things. I haven't tasted it, but anyone who tastes it is just like, it just tastes like regular coffee. And whatever whatever fanciness exists in this coffee, my palate is too common to taste it. <laughs> it's like when someone gives you a, a drop of a bottle of champagne that's three hundred quid, and you're like, it's just like cider, man. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I don't know. Do you think there'd be a... I mean, because the podcast is so popular. Do you think there would be a market if you started swallowing coffee beans and they went through your digestive tract? They were blind boy uh, lattes. <laughs> It'd be worth the fucking shot. I don't think the this specific type of animal, they're known as a palm civet. And they're, they're like little small pandas. I don't, I don't think they're cats. They're, they're related to the wolf. 
So they have a unique digestive system. So I don't think my digestive system is similar enough to that of the Pam Civet, whereby I could, whereby I could d- digest raw coffee beans. I, I, I'd would... just be selling people bags of shit. <laughs> It'd be a good marketing tie-up, though, to be like, why not put on the podcast and brew yourself a nice cup of my, <laughs> my shit? <laughs> That's a fucking tagline, man. <laughs> Why not put on a podcast and brew yourself a nice cup of my shit? <laughs> I want that in a fucking poster. <laughs> all right. Here, there's an interval now where you can get yourselves a, a lovely pint and have a small little piss for yourselves, all right? God bless. We'll be back on in about 15 minutes. Okay, we're going to try and ask some actual questions. Well, we, we've only got as far I as know, the neck. And I really, really want to fucking... I really want to follow that thread. <laughs> because... I don't, are you interested in finding out about garment, cycling garments? I, I will ask a question. I just need to continue the bit about the jackets because we didn't talk about it backstage. We saved it first stage. <laughs> How have cycling jackets evolved? Is, is it still the pocket in the back of it? These, this business that cyclists, they suck gel out of tubes. Yeah. Tell me about that. When did it start? What's it called? Uh, they, how, do, how do I start doing it? The <laughs> Cycling is... Uh, I can't... Like, if you were just to randomly pick on this podcast, it seems like I am a professional cyclist, or my expertise is there, yeah. where I'm just shitting on here. But uh, I do know for a fact that cycling was full of, uh, up until the 80s, just these myths. So Bernard Hinault was the French cyclist who won five Tour de France's. He believed that your body wasted a lot of effort breaking breaking down food. So he would eat a steak every night with his dinner during the tour and he'd cut it into tiny, tiny bits so that his body wouldn't have to do the chomping for him. He also believed climbing stairs tired you out for the stage the next day. So his teammates would... would would lift him up the stairs into his room. So they were all eating the wrong food. Like, if you, you know, if you look at... Uh, like, that's highly eccentric. The, I'm a, what are you doing? I'm cutting my steak up with the little bits. Now climb, uh, carry me up the stairs. I'm a cyclist. Like, so the original... The first Tour de France is, what, 1903? Uh, look at like, this now. The, the, the helicopters have come down now to, <laughs> to drown the noise out and say, in, in case he says some truths about the cycling world. The, MI5 and the CIA above... Here's the difficulty with cycling, and I, I say this with the law hovering overhead, is that so I, cycle, I cycled, I raced for a team until I was 14, and from the age of about 13 onwards, we were given Claritin, the anti-hay Claritin, fever yeah, yeah, yeah. remedy, in the, in, the, in the winter when there's no hay fever around. Because it's kind of like speed? It, no, it opens up your airways, so you okay, get more okay, air okay, in. Yeah. So you understand how easy it is to creep drugs into cycling then. From the age of 12, you've just been told, I take this. This is what all the pros take then. So we would just take whatever the thing was. In this case, a hay fever remedy. Are you allowed to do that in the Tour, Tour de France? Are you allowed to do a lot of Claritin? Uh, well, the Tour de France, so they have all these drug tests, but the teams have so much money, they're always one step in front of the drug testers. So there's a... This year, there's a non-illegal drug that a lot of the teams are taking called ketones, which is a new sort of energy 
the ketones is when your body burns fat instead of carbohydrates. Yeah, it messes with the maths yeah. of uh, how they're burned. And they're not illegal yet, but they'll probably be illegal in a few years. So cycling just operates at this level where they're constantly doing stuff that's not quite illegal yet. My uncle was kicked out of greyhound racing for feeding his dog's teed bags. And was that as a performance enhancer? According to him, he was like, if he was given the greyhounds tea bags, uh, and uh, because of the caffeine. <laughs> I mean, I would have given them the raw tea as yeah, opposed to the bag. It's the most country Irish. Like, give him coffee, will you? And he would have been, what's coffee? Maybe in a Keith Richards kind of a way, you could hammer the tea bags up the hoop of the greyhound. Take a take a few bags. On. We've given him six bags. Watch him go. Poor greyhounds. I know, man. Poor old fuck. That's, I, look, that sport's going to be illegal soon enough. Yeah, but like, uh, what I've never understood about greyhounds is they're the sleekest, fastest at running dogs. But you don't they're the like sleekest, fastest at running dogs. <laughs> but I don't care about that. I'd be just as happy if I went to the dog track and it was cocker spaniel night or there whatever. There you go. And so they've just put eight spaniels in the different things. Yeah, and, and they're, they're, they're looked after and they're having crack. Yeah, they're your dog, just your dog, and you enter it in. <laughs> and your, your shoe is just hanging from the back of a wagon that's driving around. <laughs> yeah. That'd be good, wouldn't it? Yeah, it's not greyhound racing. It's just all, all animals. And then you bring the Botox into that then. And <laughs> Fucking a lot of Botox dilations. <laughs> Running after a pizza box. <laughs> um, so, cycling shorts. Oh, yeah. So, uh, so, the big change with cycling shorts has been... Did they been... need to be that? Like, I remember bicycle shorts from when I was a child. Yeah. You That's got... it. You... you don't see them a lot anymore. Don't, no one's wearing bicycle shorts. What's that about? I mean, you, you'd see them. The, the dancers in... Uh, MC Hammers You Can't Touch This yes. are all wearing cycling shorts but yeah. they existed before that for cycling for cycling and they uh, the padded gusset is the thing so I know him now <laughs> over time the I feel that the sponge is getting more sophisticated so we go back to Bernardino the French cyclist of the 80s he apparently would have a thin piece of steak for the mountain stages. Are you fucking serious? And he'd pop it down there. So, so the, the, the whole difficulty... Are you taking the piss? I'm not taking the piss. The whole difficulty with... Uh, Was he to, to eat the steak or for the steak to act as padding? I mean, he, he might have it in the evening after the stage. I don't know if he's telling the truth or not because this same man wants people to carry him upstairs. So <laughs> it's quite possible that he did have some yeah, type of... Uh, I believe he would... Steak uh, pad. He'd place it down there because it, uh, it retained its... Absor- uh, uh, it was a bouncy membrane. Uh, and uh, yeah, he'd, he'd have it down there for the day. And then the other thing is you have to... So you shave yourself, yeah, and then you need to lubricate yourself massively what, as well. What's that about? Wind resistance? No, you shave yourself is more to do with um, uh, germs, Chafing. germs and stuff like that. What? Like so, this, if you cycle, you get germs on your legs if you have hair. Yeah, I think the germs hang out in the hair a bit more than like. There's a horrific thing when they crash. What? 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 I mean, so when the when the cyclists crash. So it, if you cut yourself and there's germs in your leg hair, that can be bad. Well, if you're having an operation, they shave the yeah. area. 
and that's to make it clean as clean as possible. So cyclists have these bunch crashes a lot of the time. Yes. And they get tremendous gashes on their legs. Okay. Now, the problem with it with one of them is they scab okay. and then it limits the movement in your leg. Okay. So the, the pro cyclists have to do this horrible thing where you go into the shower with kind of a, a very astringent brush and so you don't let it scab. <sighs> And people wonder why cycling isn't as popular as it used to be. Um, do cyclists wear knee pads? Because I've never seen knee pads. It's just all, a lot of bare knees. Yeah, bare, bare, yeah. Bare I know. knees. <laughs> you, you. That fellow goes up mountains and drinks his own piss. <laughs> he, uh, yeah, the, no, the, the, you wear the minimal. I mean, you're, you're trying to be as light as possible. And that's where cycling's got dodgy. Since the time I was very into it, in the kind of late 80s, early 90s, they're now like a stone or stone and a half lighter than they were then. The cyclists are. So they're wearing... Like jockeys. Min yeah, they've got lighter and lighter. Because they worked out the maths of cycling bicycles up mountains. And it turns out the main thing that slows you down is your own weight. And you can keep your power... If you can keep your power right up, which they can do with modern training, it's a question of just not eating at all. So, yeah, so that's the thing. Are the, so are cyclists not eating enough? Or are they just looking for very slight men or slight women to be the cyclists? Uh, well, I never made it. Uh, they're looking for nine stone weaklings. Jockeys. Yeah, kind of. You can be tall now because that also, the long levers does help you. But that's why they take those little sugary, they're called gels, those things you were talking about. So that's about all you get to eat then. It's not like the old days where you... And that's pure sugar pretty much. Yeah, both. it's just pure energy, the, the whole thing then. When did know? they start becoming... Like, this business of the banana pocket on your spine. Yeah. Did, did the gel tube replace the bananas? Yeah, I don't, you don't see as many bananas getting eaten these days, which, you know, I guess there's a danger with the banana, the, the famous banana skin danger. <laughs> but you still I've see... I've never in my fucking life slipped in a banana. I've never seen someone slip on a banana. <laughs> Who invented that? The, but you still see bananas getting eaten in Wimbledon. So there is still, uh, I think there's a slow, there's a slow potassium release from a banana. Yeah. High, high carbohydrate, a lot of potassium, prevents your uh, knees seizing up, apparently. I don't know. The fuck do I know? <laughs> fuck, I don't know. I'm, I'm Mr. Banana expert here. <laughs> They're yellow and long and they have their own packet. They do. They're, yeah, they're perfect that, that way. They're great like that. Yeah, and do you know what? They're not actually a fruit. They're a herb. Fuck off. Yes. A banana is botanically uh, a herb. Not this. I hate this. this I know, yeah, like, I know, I know, I know. You know I the know. way like an avocado is technically a mammal? Yeah. Our, 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 uh, peanuts. Peanuts are not nuts. They're of the potato family. They're, they're tubers. <laughs> Do you know? So let's not get into tomatoes. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I know. Just let, let people eat the fucking fruit. Don't be going, well, actually, that, that's a vegetable. I don't care. It's tasty and red. <laughs> um, What's your top fruit, just before we move oh. on to the questions? Pineapple. Yeah, fucking pineapples are great. Yeah, they are great. Some people hate them. Some people have a real issue with Some them. people do. Um, pineapples have a chemical on them called bromelain, which can be used to uh, clear the tongues of people who can't swallow. Really? Yeah. So you drink pineapple juice then? You drink pineapple juice, or, or you can use it to uh, tenderize steak. 
So if you were to get the steak and put it down your crotch for a cycle, <laughs> you can uh, first, you can, uh, how about could you go over to Edinburgh and you tell people, because Edinburgh's got loads of stairs, yeah. that in order for you to do musical comedy the way you do it, you need people to carry you upstairs. <laughs> Yeah, I we, we haven't spoken about comedy once, have we? <laughs> or what you do. <laughs> and like, you know, there's Greeks listening. There's yeah. going to be Greeks and Turks listening all around the world. And, and what have they learned so far? We, <laughs> Here's a man. How to, how to dress for cycling up to the nipples. <laughs> <laughs> what, what is it uh, for, for the Greeks? What, what is it you actually do? Um, I do a sort of a comedy that is uh, popular with some people and those that don't like it contact me on Twitter to raise the issue with me personally and <laughs> nearly always those people are proud father is the yes. first part uh, like I, f- I fucking hate your comedy get off my television yeah. like that it's a proud father the name of a football team yes. and then a flag Always be it an Irish flag or a Union Jack, usually. It's interesting. Uh, that particular type of we that's known as da Twitter. So right. they're, yeah, they're called das. So it's not someone who's a father. It's they're a da. And I think what they are is lads who've joined because they are always lads. Lads who've joined Twitter specifically to say mean things to footballers. Right, yeah, yeah. I think, because that, that's, they, they tend to be, it's very soccery. Yeah. And they're there, you know, I don't know any, I don't know, Stephen Gerrard, is he a soccer player? Uh, not anymore. Just whoever, give me the name of a soccer player. Um, I will say... Pele. Yeah, okay, yeah. So, these lads... <laughs> Mo Salah. These lads are on Twitter, and you just see them, Pele's a prick, and then they start going off-brand... And decide to start talking about things such as uh, David O'Doherty's musical comedy. Yeah, and uh, Brexit very, very often as well. Yeah. They're, um, they're, they're very into that. And then they veered away. Their proud fathership doesn't exclude them for commenting on uh, boobs of ladies down yeah, on the yeah, telly yeah, as yeah. well. Yeah. So it's a strange mixture of... It's, yeah, it's terrible. Like, any, anytime someone uh, needs to talk about how class a parent they are whether it be on their body or in their Twitter bio you always know you're fucking up <laughs> and you feel the need to tell everyone like a world's greatest dad uh, Elizabeth yeah. Duke Ring from Argus yeah. doesn't necessarily mean that person has not at all <laughs> yeah but I know I mean this in the nicest possible way Every, like, I mean this sincerely everyone is an expert on comedy in that like comedy is like farts it just happens it's just a sound comes out of you yeah, yeah. you know due to atmospheric conditions and I do my thing and if, if that sound doesn't come out of that thing they're legitimately allowed to say that man is not a comedian like that, I that's, can't really argue with them on that point of view it, it's, it's such a personal thing as, you know? a, as a creative I think that's the best approach to have because what I, what I say to myself is, like, there's people who love, like, uh, I don't know, Red Hot Chili Pet. No, they're all right. <laughs> A Coldplay, right? Yeah. I, I don't, I'm not into Coldplay, lads, right? But there are people who love Coldplay. And what I say is that this person, they live in a world, their, their day-to-day life, they live in a world where Coldplay are brilliant. And I live in a world where Coldplay aren't brilliant. And it's grand. 
So yeah. when someone goes, that song you did was shit, or I didn't like that thing, I just go, they exist in a world where I'm shit, and that's grand. Yeah, well, my dad's a jazz musician, so our, my entire youth was going to these gigs where I hated the music mm-hmm. so much. Like, mm-hmm. every fibre of my being tried till the age of 14 to, like, like, I actually thought he was taking the piss. Do you know that way? <laughs> Do you know... Do you know sometimes you hear metal that is so discordant? And yeah, loud, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the lads in your class will be like, this is the best thing I've ever heard. Yeah. How do you not love this? Yeah. And it's just like, <laughs> it's a fella taking a shit or something. And similarly with jazz, I actually yeah. thought they were just annoying me. Well, I when, thought it was when a it's... huge Truman Show style prank where <laughs> there was radio stations dedicating to pretending that people liked this music. Until I got to about 15, and then I remember it was the, my gateway uh, was fucking Steely Dan. Oh, you know? that is a total jazz gateway, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, I, I, I hated Steely Dan so much. And then I remember because my brother, he had the bedroom beside the bathroom, and he used to listen to Steely Dan. And I remember, you don't have to call nobody else. And me going like, oh, that's quite good. Oh. Oh no! <laughs> I'm feeling jazzy! <laughs> and I love jazz now, I'm obsessed with it. And even the, even the shit that your dad was bringing you to, because there's certain jazz, the stuff where it's like, um, I don't know the musical phrases for it, but it's, it's like it's not being melodic, it's deliberately trying to be really difficult, and I don't know how people can listen to some of that. Yeah, fire in a pet shop jazz. Yeah, is uh, that. <laughs> what? <laughs> What? <laughs> It'd be how I would describe a certain genre. Okay. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, but like you, you, I, like I think the problem used to be that uh, having grown up in a sort of FM radio era where the music is very tonal and chordal and everything's playing nicely together in these melodies. If you hear just piano, bass and drums, and particularly on those old records where they're just spread out wide across yeah. the sonic spectrum, you're just like, these three people don't know each other and yeah. are playing in different parts of the country. Yeah. Uh, but then you they actually start to mesh and then you get, you remember the key thing, which is they're actually reacting to each other and and because that that is the class thing about jazz it's people having a conversation up on stage with music yeah i always think the best thing in the world could be about to happen and it probably won't (laughs) but there's a chance that it might (laughs) and that's the beauty of jazz whereas like if you go a pop song is just like here's the best bit here's the not so best bit and here's a bit that's almost good and if you go to the live gig, you'd be like, they did it very similar to the version that was on the radio. Like, well done. Yeah. Whereas you go to a jazz gig and they go on, you know, like I love the non-showbiz of it, especially like at my dad's gigs, which were generally upstairs in pubs in front of uh, 28 people and then me down the back uh, reading yeah, your, a book about cycling. Your dad was doing that. Your dad was doing jazz back in the 60s in Dublin, wasn't he? Yeah, my, like my dad is so much more subversive than anyone else that I know in as much as in conservative, uh, 
like mid fifties devil era. They were trying to ban jazz. Yeah. You know, it was seen as Negro music yeah. was the description of it. And there was it posed this moral threat to the uh women of Ireland that they might I don't know what would happen if they necessarily heard it. Yeah. But <laughs> it was a threat that they perceived didn't exist from listening to uh more traditional music. And uh, dad heard Charlie Parker and w- you know, wouldn't there wouldn't have been there would have been one photo of Charlie Parker on the front of the sleeve, and it changed my dad's life yeah. as a fifteen-year-old, uh, such that he just dedicated himself from that moment on. Which is like it's, it's not even like joining a punk band in nineteen seventy-seven because then there were yeah. other punk. It'd be like joining a punk band and you're the only punk guy in Papua New Guinea, basically. It's, <laughs> it, it, uh, and where the so they, they used to have to pretend they used to have to say that what they were doing where it wasn't jazz they'd have to say so they couldn't call it a jazz gig ah well they would call it da- a dance band was the way around okay. it and then so what show bands were grand but jazz wasn't grand show bands came a little bit later then and so so what are we what are we talking sixty one so my dad late fifties yeah my dad was born in thirty nine he's eighty one he's still around and he's still gigging and he in the fifties then when he was still in school he set up a, a jazz band called the Memphis Five which is just <laughs> such a funny name yeah. for <laughs> some kids from Irish Town to call yeah. their <laughs> band and there was three of them in the photo the one photo. It's on my phone. I took a photo of his only copy of it. There's only three of them turned up for the photo. <laughs> so <laughs> they, they like, it's just these beautiful. So dad, dad played the piano and he, then he got one of Ireland's first Hammond organs. Wow. Right? And he couldn't make it sound like it did on the, on the uh, jazz records. But then he bought a, there's a brother Jack McDuff live album, George Benson's first ever album from like 61 or 62. And there's a picture of Jack McDuff from above. And you can see where he has all the knobs set up on the organ. Oh my God. So dad bought the album, brought it home and moved all the switches because there's about 30 switches on an organ. And suddenly was like, oh, I've got a jazz machine here. Like <laughs> up until then, I think dad had just sounded like he was playing at the back of mass or something. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Suddenly he made it sound funky. <laughs> And uh, yeah, so he uh, he did that. He uh, he moved to London. He was back and forth uh, to there. And was he doing session stuff or what? Yeah, my dad was in uh, early show bands, and then he came off the road with the show bands to produce music. He was would have played a million sessions, you know, yeah. from like the reality of being a session musician in Ireland in the sixties, uh, seventies was you do a. Daniel O'Donnell gig and yeah. you do a Phil Linnett gig and you do a like that my dad um played on the Late Late Sh- he was the musical director on the Late Late Show when there was a house band on the Late Late Show uh no there still is but the, when you played with the visiting artist yeah yeah and in the same month in 19 I think 71 my dad played with Fred Astaire and Bob Marley on the, <laughs> wow. on the Late Late Show wow. so it was just he, like he to him I mean it's a wanky it's a wanky thing and the genre, he did see genres of music but he didn't see one as better than the other or yeah. whatever they were all just interesting things you could do and it's it's interesting to talk to him about that period in Ireland in the 60s where the Rocky Road to Dublin the movie would be about just how shit and terrible Ireland is yeah. and how there's books being banned and the GAA is a vehicle for Catholic men to learn to fight the Brits and you're just like 
Yeah. Yeah, there was that. But there was also lads snaking off to basements to smoke jazz to smoke jazz records, was what I was about to say. <laughs> and I think that captures what I meant. <laughs> um so your dad's this really accomplished fucking jazz uh, musician and you play comedy songs on a small electronic keyboard. Yeah. Is that your act of rebellion? No, I definitely wanted to be... It's funny, my dad uh, like, has dedicated his whole life to this like, minority music form that... you know. So his sidekick was Louis Stewart. The, who's like the greatest Irish jazz musician mm-hmm. uh, who died the year before last. So my dad and him have been playing together for 60 years. So there's a funny thing when your sidekick passes away then. Because yeah. like dad's still gigging, but he'll never have that thing yeah, yeah. that he had uh, with that person. And there's also something beautiful about that, that, you know, I, I remember at the funeral, dad just saying, you know, one of the saddest, he said at the eulogy, that's one of the saddest things is this, there's less of us every time we all get together yeah. for one of these. But there's also something beautiful that the music literally, the beat literally goes on. Yeah. That this, you know, weird, you know, American art form of the 20th century wound its way over to Ireland in whatever weird form. It, yeah. And then he dedicated his entire life to it. Yet, for my father, the only tunes that anyone in this country will ever remember him for was my father wrote the theme from Wanderly Wagon and the Safe Cross Code. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. Um, wh- like, when did you start? Wh- when did you just go, I'm going to do songs that are funny? I wanted to be a uh, piano player like Dad. Uh, but Dad's thing was he never forced any of us to do music lessons or anything. We had to ask him how to do it. Because I think he taught a lot of kids piano lessons mm-hmm. when they clearly hated it and were being made yeah, to do it yeah. by their folks or whatever. So when I was 16, I asked him, could he show me how to do it? And so his idea of a piano lesson was he just put on the radio and yeah. he's like, all right, hear that. Just Let's try and play that. Yeah. And then, so I'm like, okay. And then he's like, and let's try and play it a sad version of it. And then yeah. I'm like, okay. And he goes, and now let's play it like it was a fast, dancey version. And like, you know, the the song is uh, whatever a song from la 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 long long li long 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 or you know. And so Da has made it into this sad choral version yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was about five minutes into him teaching me how to play the piano. I was like, oh, there's more to this than I imagined. <laughs> <laughs> and then you, you add into that there's another factor which is a very positive factor which is uh, one of the greatest jazz musicians in the world is now is a guy called Brad Meldow who's a piano player and uh, he used to spend time here he's a guy who he had some uh, health issues and some drug stuff he went he was a genius kid piano player and I think he went on the road with Depeche Mode then mm-hmm. and that's uh, not a great place to be. No, uh, Imme- immediately I was like, okay, I can see where <laughs> things the, went wrong there. The worst possible. Yeah. And so he used to come here to uh, do shows and just hang out generally. And so I ended up spending a lot of time with him. And that was really bad also from the Were point you of view someone, well, certainly when I started playing yeah. then, because he would be like, 
I remember one time we were in the car going somewhere and there was this ad on the radio for all the tiles you'll ever want, tile market, all the styles you'll ever want, style market. And like an hour later, Brad just sitting down at the piano and being like, hey, do you remember that ad for tiles earlier and him just playing it exactly? <laughs> and then him being like, it's actually, because it reminds me of that Debussy thing. And then him yeah. playing part of a symphony and me just going, oh, fuck, I don't have what these lads have. I just didn't yeah. have the ears. Like yeah. there's a, you, you can, you know, there's your 10,000 hours and all that. Yeah. But there's also be fucking good in the first place. Yeah, you gotta have something in here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I didn't, ha- I definitely, you know, I yeah, could have yeah, yeah, yeah. kept plugging away for years and got okay. Uh, now, uh, the other thing that, the other sort of family business was, um, or not family, my dad used to write sketches for the yeah, radio, yeah, yeah. Uh, comedy sketches. And there was always a big comedy house from the point of view of, old. my granny lived in Ackle. So that was a six hour drive. So we listened to these tapes of mm-hmm. old goon shows and Monty Python tapes yeah. and Round the Horn and that Last of the Night 58 show. All these like classic BBC comedies. And he took us to Kevin McAleer yeah. when McAleer sort of broke. Freddie Starr. You know yeah. what I mean? We'd go to whatever the big comedy gig was in town. And... I, like there was never a point where I was like, oh, I want to do that. But I saw a Randy Newman gig. Yeah. Uh, it, on my J one, I went to America in 1996, and he was this weird hybrid of the two. Had you heard Randy Newman up until that point, or was this you just stumbled upon Randy Newman in America? Uh, my friend was into Randy Newman and said, "You." have to see this yeah. you will like this yeah. so and you know when someone says that every part of your body is like i'm gonna do my best to hate this yeah 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 and i sat down and it was in a borders bookshop in san francisco uh, when i was working as a, a stationary courier which is a contradiction in terms uh <laughs> for the summer and uh he sat down and like he went he played some deep cuts uh, he played ghosts, and I just it fucking blew my mind. Yeah, and, and then it was around that time. There's a a live Tom Waits album called Nighthawks at the Diner. Oh, that's fucking gorgeous. Where he talks a lot on yeah, it as well. Yeah, I love it. And I, I, you know, growing up in Dublin as well, I, I'd always gone to a lot of rock gigs, a lot of singer songwriter gigs, and I always loved how. Do you know with singer-songwriters, very often when they're tuning up, yes. they tell an anecdote. Yes. And it's very often a shit anecdote, yeah. but everyone's hanging on every word because yes. they're going like, ding, 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 ding. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. and then uh, for lunch, we uh, actually, we didn't know where to go. And uh, we ended up uh, get, just getting uh, chips for lunch. Anyway, this song, and you're like, oh, I thought this was going to have an ending. And <laughs> I loved that idea. And I think that was definitely... <laughs> I was like, I could do that. Yeah. I could just play jazz chords and talk over the top of it. Because uh, there's a thing as well about about your type of musical comedy. You use deliberate mistakes for comedic effect. I'm not very good. But it, like, there... Yeah, no, no, no. I, I, I get, yeah. I, I, like you're it's... probably better than the, well, you do it when you're, like, you do, they are re- deliberate mistakes, aren't they? Uh... <laughs> Yeah, I like I like to I'll I'll try and hold a a riff. And yeah, some, yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. quite hard to talk and play the piano at the same time. But I like I figure no one's there for the piano playing. Do you know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> no one at my gigs is ever like I try and tune out the talking and just 
really feel that groove. Uh, whereas at my dad's gigs, it's the opposite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, definitely, I didn't have the chops to to be a proper. Uh, ja- that's a that's a, a jazz term, not one from uh, but- butchery. Uh, I didn't have the chops, and so I. Yeah, I, I I saw a way of using. I still I love music. I still love yeah, yeah, music, yeah. and I love the way that a musical comedy. I love what it does with energy. Yeah. You know that it. You can play a sad song and bring a, the energy in the whole room. Right, that everyone's concentrating, hanging on every fucking word. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I like subverting that by having then songs about total horseshit. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like early yeah. on in some of my first gigs, uh, I I used to support bands a lot, and I used to support. Uh, David Kitt yeah the Moldy Peaches and people yeah. like that and um, you'd go off and I'd come on with the little keyboard I was, I was always into those little keyboards and people would be like wow it's a really serious singer songwriter here <laughs> and I'd have a song about how much I love the Fiat Seixento yeah, <laughs> and people would so the penny would drop halfway through, and they'd be like, "Oh, there we go. He's taking the piss. Ah, he's doing a different sort of a thing, you know. Like there's there's Tom Waits songs that like uh, for for me, I try to write songs about things that are important to me. Yeah, and then I write stupid songs about finding a dead mouse in my water tank as well. H- how do you feel about that? Uh, because it's obviously what we do, fucking. Music as well, musical comedy, like the bandits. But I've always found with m- music is one of the few art forms where as soon as you include comedy in it, it somehow becomes, it's perceived as being creatively devalued. Yeah. The term novelty, which I fucking hate the term novelty because I believe that all acts have novelty. Yeah. Like even someone like Bob Dylan, who's, uh, you know, at his height, really uh, cool lad who smokes fags and he's all moody. That's his novelty. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's, it's just a personal brand. So it, it's like, if your songs are funny, therefore the music must not be good. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it, I mean, I do get it. As in, if someone walks on stage with a guitar, yeah. I'll be like, oh, fuck. Yeah. And, and I think it hits me, especially because I'm like, oh, that's, guitar comedy. That, well, at least. That's because it's very cliched, though. Well, it is sometimes. But yeah. then, like, so I was having all these doubts in 2002. Uh, huge doubts about like what the hell am I doing? Yeah. Like, this is so stupid. And and then the show after me in my room in Edinburgh was Flight of the Concords. Yeah, with Taika Waititi, who now made Eagle versus Shark, and all. he was yeah. doing the lights for their show. And I met these. They just because I could see it being done in this way and carrying a whole room along yeah. with it for an hour, like probably the best hour of comedy I've ever yeah. seen. And that made me be like, oh yeah, hang on, there you can, there is a way of doing this yeah. now. And they're musically proficient, and they sing beautiful harmonies. Yeah. And I'm not necessarily those things, but I definitely doubled down after that and was like, I'm going to try and figure out my own way of of doing this now. Yeah. And I ended up playing piano with them, and still do sometimes. Then. Oh really? Yeah, I support them. Sometimes when they, I, I just, I'd say they're good chaps, are they? Yeah, well, it's very funny from an Irish point of view. We played Whelan's to no one in, in 2003. Okay. And they sold out two nights in the three arena in an hour and a half. Uh, wow. Last year. 
So, it, you know, it, it's, it's a beautiful, and it's a beautiful thing about YouTube, you know, same with Bandits, like, it, that stuff lives on. Yeah. And Concords came back with a, they hadn't done anything for about five years, and they were like, well, we'll book 500 seaters, see if anyone yeah. remembers us, and then everything sells out. And, because the YouTube just has it, it keeps going. They're, YouTube just keeps it going yeah. then, yeah, and... Also, like, it's it's hard not to sound like a total prick, but they put their hearts into that. They did their best. Some of the songs, yeah. some of the songs are really stupid, but they all have a sort of sincerity and a beauty. To, like, a, they have a song called Bus Driver that is one of my favorite songs. Yeah. And if you do that, people remember you. People, yeah. it means something to people. Yeah. And that's a... That that's a really nice thing that m you get certainly from musical comedy as well. It 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 gets in people's heads the way music does. Well, it, mean, it means your joke can have a hook. Yeah, I mean it's you, you can walk away humming a joke. Completely, yeah. So I mean that's handy, yeah. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and also, I mean, I I will I'll really defend stupidity uh, a lot as well. As in this comedy that I love, there's incredibly. Uh, uh, profound, articulate, beautiful. There's Daniel Kitson, you know, there's Josie Long doing beautiful political comedy. But there's also like Mitch Hedberg and people, yeah. you know, I saw Mitch Hedberg when he did Kilkenny Festival in 98 and he comes out and he's like, uh, Pringle's original intention was to make tennis balls. And <laughs> the potatoes arrived and they were like, let's do it anyway. And... <laughs> and, and you're just like, this is so pure and beautiful. I love this as yeah, well. Yeah. And the nice thing about comedy is it's possible to have, like Bill Hicks used to do gigs with Mitch Hedberg, you yeah. know, and that's a beautiful thing. And everyone would have been laughing at well, two entirely different ends of it's a spectrum. It's clowning. I mean, it's, it's one of these things too. Like uh, sometimes is what I have an issue with the word satire because sometimes they throw satire on things to say, oh, it's comedy, but it's the smart type. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Instead of just going, no, it's can it not just be funny. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Um, like, what was I thinking of there? My well, hangovers after getting the better of me, and I forgot the next thing I was going to say. So if you well, continue, like, but well, if I could use your own work, you know, like uh, the puppet Gabriel Byrne. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't who, know. who is currently in my house? I I, 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 I left the house obviously to do this gig. So I have Gabriel Byrne puppets sitting on the couch. So if a robber comes in, they'll just be like, <laughs> fuck that. I don't know what it is, but I don't want to see it. I'm out of here. It's, it's, a very, it's like a very small toddler with Gabriel Byrne's head. It's fucking terrifying. So I have this on the couch. So, well, the bandits had a song, If You Want to Fuck a Fella, Go Out and Fuck a yeah. Fella, that is sung by a ventriloquist dummy, Gabriel Byrne. Yeah. And... On many levels, that is really stupid. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But on another level, it's a very succinct, nice, blunt message. Yeah. And I, uh, I think that's an example of something that's simultaneously reasonably profound and also reasonably stupid as well. Yeah, there's a great, like, we like doing things. To, to, to be honest, that was more of a, not a personal attack on Gabriel Byrne, right? But because I've nothing against Gabriel Byrne, he's a gent. It was more myself and Chrome kind of going, we made that video, like, we, the Gabriel Byrne element was just because we had envisioned he's going to open up YouTube and he's going to have to look at it and he's just going to have to wonder. <laughs> but it was mainly just, I was going, 
Gabriel Byrne open a laptop and it's like someone has put a lot of effort into making a very small me and why is the small me why did they have this message about why it's okay to be gay and just for him to wonder because there's no and the thing is there's no answer do you know what I mean yeah sometimes but I mean I've done things that, that I, I don't even understand like I I um do you remember Don Coburn used to read the news? Yeah. <laughs> well, so I don't, but I've seen videos of him. He was, he was a... Uh, he was just a dour-voiced RT newscaster. Tommy Tiernan was talking about him yesterday as well. There must be Don Coburn in the area. Yeah, he was, yeah. So the uh, night before the Tour de France came to Dublin, or came to Ireland in 1998, uh, me and my friend uh, got up at four in the morning and drove up the mountains and with a bucket of white paint and wrote Don Coburn's name on the roads. You know the way, <laughs> yes! you know the way normally yes! you write the name of the champion cyclist? Yeah, we yeah, yeah. We just decided it'd be really funny if it just said uh, Don Coburn for no... Because it's just, it's so stupid. And again, I'm guessing there's the part here that you want that to reach Don Coburn and from him to just go, just be like, why? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, did I do something? Is it a warning about something that I'm going to do? Why? So it, uh, uh, we did it, uh, and the idea was that the helicopter shot you'd get, and we'd be able to take a photograph of the telly as it went over. But if anyone remembers the 1998 Tour de France in Ireland debacle, uh, there was uh, fog, and the helicopter couldn't go up. So our work was completely oh, lost. <laughs> um, <laughs> recently, I did a thing as well. So I have a story in my book. I can't remember the name of the fucking story, but it's, it's about a girl who's experiencing crippling anxiety and panic attacks, right? And how she's getting through it. But halfway through the story, she meets Sam Neill, who's dressed as Bart Simpson. And he becomes a kind of a, a spiritual guide for her to get out of her anxiety. He might even be a figment of her imagination. Yeah. But again, I'm just like, I, I just want Sam Neill to open up this book and go, <laughs> why... This whole story is about a 19-year-old girl exp- experiencing anxiety. Why am I in Bonratty Castle in Clare? <laughs> why am I dressed as Bart Simpson? And why am I urging her to, uh, to piss on the seats of an Italian tourist bus? And again, it was just, I want Sam Neill to open it up and for him to go, why? Why? <laughs> it's, 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 it's kind of a, I, I don't know what it is. It's, yeah. If you have that ability, that platform, just to get into someone's head... For no reason, and it's not malicious. Yeah, just make him wonder. There was, the, I, I, like, it's something related to to my comedy. Like one of the first things, one of the first kind of public prank things I ever did before I was doing stand up was when I was in college. I made up posters for a fake bank, and <laughs> uh, like, do you remember, like in the nineties, banks for the first time brought sort of marketing to young people into yeah. it and so it'd be like graffiti written you know the content the current plus account and like there'd be a rap you know oh god yeah it'd be yeah, like yeah. fresh prince of bel-air type writing on yeah. it and so yeah i made up a fake bank and but it, it reminds me of i remember once talking to uh arthur matthews yeah uh who co-wrote Father Ted, and uh, this was, someone else was there, and they were talking about this series, how much Ireland had changed, and there was a series of letters in the Evening Herald in the 80s, 
And it was, uh, the first one was, I saw two young people kissing on Dame Street and I, I was disgusted. It was horrible. The way they were doing it in the modern style, this should be, <laughs> this, yes. this should be banned, okay? And uh, the next day, someone else writes. Modern kissing. Someone responds and it's like, um, the uh, yes, I've seen this too and I've seen it on public transport. Is there a way that it can be raised in the doll? And then someone else uh, wrote in the next day and was like, I think people should be able to do whatever. Like, times are changing, granddad. And the next person was like, where's this going to end? It's going to end with people fucking tables or, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The point. And anyway, it went on and on for several weeks, this thing about should people be allowed to kiss in public? And Arthur Matthews just ended the whole thing by saying, oh, yeah, I remember that. I wrote all of those letters. So he wrote the first wow. one and he wrote all of the contrary views as well. And he just kept the thing going for ages. And that See, is a beautiful sort of prank. That's a thing I wonder about. Um, sometimes I look at artists who are class, like Arthur Matthews is class, someone like Flann O'Brien, and I wonder, had they have had access to the internet, would they, would they have ever made a career? Yeah. Because if Arthur Matthews is getting his kicks out of anonymous letters to the fucking Irish Times, that means that had he been born later, he just might be a really funny person underneath the journal that he comments. <laughs> And, and, and not go on to write Father Ted. Same with Flann O'Brien. Flann O'Brien had multiple uh, different um, personas that he would take. And I kind of go, if you get Flann O'Brien the internet, he wouldn't be writing books. He'd be arguing with people online all day and being really funny and smart, but ultimately not creating any work. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a phenomenon now where particularly my, uh, like exactly my age, I got the internet when I was about 20, I'd say. Yeah. And so I've seen it. Yeah. And, and then... What you now see is people who speak like they're on the internet yeah. in the in the real world. Yeah. You know, would recommend like that sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's just taken directly off TripAdvisor reviews. Yeah. And you also realize there's a world on the internet of people arguing and they're not getting anywhere. No. And they're just going to be there forever, going round, round in circles like the characters in The Third Policeman. You know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I also think there will be a movement now of people. The internet is just seen as a thing. And while, while obviously technology become more and more integrated and people will use it for messaging and all of that. Yeah. But the idea, like I am of an era where basically you knew everything that was going on on the internet. Yeah. Someone would be like, have you seen... Um, what was the, what do you call when uh, you see uh, a lady's gi through the front of her trousers? Camel toe. Camel toe. Yeah. Like when, sorry for saying that, but it was the only way I could think. Well, I remember someone going like, cameltoe.com, have you seen it? And it yeah. Was, it was family photos. That was people nuts. people had just little camel toes on the front. I know, but that was an era where you knew everything. That was weird, that. But, but like now there's wheels within wheels within wheels. Yeah. Uh, it, it, you know, it's like... But it I, meant as well, you, like if, if 2006 we say, did you see that YouTube video? Things went viral through word of mouth and things yeah. like that. And like you said, a website. What was the one with the man's bum? I remember cake Goatsy. farts. Don't look up that. And, and, and me calling it a man's bum. I, I've really, it's, it's way worse than a man's bum. It is a man's bum, but it's the worst type of man's bum you could ever see. You, but you know Goatsy, don't you? No. Okay, good. 
but the the yeah so I, I I think there may be like that that thing is just sort of eating its own tail now and uh, like the fact that it's led to a global situation where there's basically an ironic president in America and an yeah. ironic prime minister in England now I yeah. think is the logical conclusion yeah. of everything having lost all meaning yeah. where people are just having lols and absolutely lulls, yeah you know absolutely so <laughs> I mean, my hope is that things don't go any further down. Like, you know, it reminds me of Brit Britain and, and America remind me now of like, years ago. I remember a university, they uh, because the student union had no power, they elected a dog president of the student yeah. union just for a laugh. And because the way the constitution was written, the dog just got to live in the office for a year. Yeah. Like they couldn't vote the dog out or whatever. And that seems like what's happened, yeah. particularly in England. And now everyone's pretending that they agree with the dog. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Everyone's sort of like, oh, yeah, I know I've always hated shoes. Yeah. <laughs> Let's all shit. Let's all shit wherever Let's we want. Let's all fucking shit, sniff each other's fucking arses and eat out of tins. <laughs> um, I'm going to get a couple of audience questions here, if anyone has any. Is there a, is there a microphone going around the place on a lanyard? Who's got a question? One question over yonder. Wait, no, we've got a microphone. Ah, oh, bollocks. I should have gotten the questions closer to where the mic was. Where is somebody? Hello. How are you? Hey, I always think it'd be so cool if the audience member just went off with the mic. Like, <laughs> it's probably uh, yeah. 150 quid's worth of mic. Fucking you know? run out. Yeah. <laughs> Into coppers with the mic. <laughs> I won't. Um, Sorry, go on. I have two questions. So, Blind Boy, hey. How are you? Um, just wondering, did the Tommy Tiernan podcast record yesterday? Yes, it fucking did. <laughs> and then, David, do you have your keyboard with you? I do. Uh, oh. It's in a, a little cabin uh, around the back with all this. Do you want to do a song? Is that rude? I mean, I can do one. Can you, can you hold a fort for like uh, yeah, a minute? Yeah, it'll be grand. It'll be grand. I should have said that. I should have said, here, the man who does musical comedy, you'd never bring your keyboard on, but wasn't thinking. Double dropping yokes. We'll get him to do a bit of that, yeah. Swanky keyboard bag. Uh, <laughs> How does this work now? Um, you're, we're going to have to use your mic over okay. the... Uh, you're going to have to over the sound hole. dangle it over okay. the speaker. Groovy. And actually, someone else is going to have to come up and hold this over my face then as well. So can we, so, Madam, do we can have any, do any uh, what do you call those things that mics go on? Microphone stands, yeah. <laughs> All right. Wait, I mean, that lady can hold it. I don't mind. Hold, hold what? She can hold it over me and you can hold it over the speaker. No, do you know what? You can sit down and be part of the audience and enjoy yourself and I'll go for a double hander. <laughs> you, you have a stand. I've fucking two mics now. That's not a stand, it's a railing. <laughs> Sorry, two seconds. God bless. So you can go for the mouth, the mouth mic. Yeah, I'll take that on the mouth. And then, can you... I'll, I'll go for a... Oh, shit, I'm not sure it's the right... A Johnny Listen right. Hall. I'm going to jam this in. That'll do. Okay, great. Oh, 
Sorry. I feel bad for the Greek fella now. He's like, know, yeah. what the hell is this? The poor old Greek will be listening. My one Greek. Walking along, it feels like I'm free. What's that sound? A cat purring in a tree. Hey, Mrs. Cat. Why you meowing like that, I say. She runs away, can't blame you, to be honest, cat. <laughs> One little can and I'm chatting to the cats. On the night, I went out without my phone. I'm sitting on the bus, but I'm not looking down I'm staring out the windows, seeing the lights of the town This is my town, tonight I feel part of it Hearing conversation from the strangers beside Karen got back with Liam when his mother died Poor Karen, I hope she's not making a mistake Sorry for your trouble, Liam. The guy behind me singing Eminem to himself. But the only words he knows for sure are lose and yourself. This is chaos, this is life. But I bloody love it. I should always go out without my mobile phone. I get to where I'm supposed to meet my friends. I'm half an hour early, but I'm happy to spend the time watching a busker. She's doing The Boys Are Back In Town And I'm like, I'm the boys And this is town And I'm back <laughs> And that's the greatest Irish rock song ever written And this is the best version of it I've ever This version is so good, I look down And my legs, I'm dancing There's six strangers in the drizzle At the top of Grafton Street And we're all dancing This never happens when you got your headphones And then I look over there some prick is filming us on their phone. Now you fucking ruined that. An hour later, my friends still aren't there. There must have been a change of plan along the way somewhere. Not to worry. I'll just go get some food on my own. That's what I'll do. I'll read my book that I've downloaded to my... Oh, bollocks. <laughs> But the first restaurant's full and they recommend another place But I can't find it cause I don't have maps Tell you what I'll do Look at a pint Go to an old fella's pub, I'll reconnect with the soul of this nation Then a guy comes up to me outside the pub Says his coat's been robbed, asks if I could phone the cops But I say would you believe it? I actually can't. And he calls me a miserable bollocks. I'm sitting in the pub and this old fella wanders over because he says I look lonely. Starts telling me about his brother who lives in Tennessee. Says he can't come home because he doesn't have a visa. And he misses him whenever Ireland have a match. They listen to it together on long wave and even they don't they, they're not together They feel like they're 12 again And they are together While they're listening to them I'm like Jesus This is so beautiful This is what I needed But then he moves on To how the country's full There's no room for anybody else We need a Trump To secure our borders And you can't even tell Who's Irish anymore And what do the women want What do the women want And I wish I'd brought out My mobile phone 
I can't even book a taxi to get the fuck out of there Walking home in the rain It's amazing how much more you notice the smell of piss When you're not listening to a podcast get home i've got 12 missed calls my friends are like where are you you're missing the greatest night they started putting photos of the night up on the whatsapp group that like 50 of my friends are my friends waking up in buenos aires but the friends in auckland she's seeing the pictures of the night out and they're all like ah it's nights like this that i wish i still lived at home and i'm like to be honest when you're actually here full time It's something of a mixed bag. (laughs) Like, it's getting better. I think it is getting better. I'm pretty sure it's getting... Like, it's grand. It's absolutely grand if you just remember to bring out your phone, but don't check it too much. (laughs) On fucking real. All right. I'll leave you go, because it's fucking... Half six. Thank you so much, everyone, for turning up. You were unreal. Thank you to David O'Dard. He's a legend. Have a good evening, lads. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.